Thanks for tuning in. My name's Andre Servin, and you're listening to Off the Roost Podcast, brought to you by Off the Roost Custom Calls, turkey calls for the serious hunter. Join me and my co-host, Paul Murdahl, as we delve into the world of the wild turkey, covering everything from calling tips and tactics and hunting strategies to the latest equipment available, featuring interviews from special guests and custom call giveaways. We'll do our best to keep you up to date on this obsession we call turkey hunting. We appreciate you joining us. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome back, everybody. You guys are listening to the Off the Roost podcast, and this is episode 10. Uh, as always, I am here with my buddy, Paul, and uh, we got a real treat for you on this episode. But before we get into that, Paul, how's your day going? Uh, it's going. It's going. Um, got my, found out I got my Mississippi tag last Friday. So we got nice. that going for us. Yep. So I'm just going to work some time off from, from the boss, man, and we should be there. Nice. I know you were uh, a little concerned maybe if you weren't going to get it, but yeah, yep. looks I, like you got it. They were they were actually supposed to come out on Thursday. So okay. I, I was sitting around on Friday, and I was making plans to possibly go to Alabama instead. <laughs> and yeah. when, I, when I was looking through all that stuff, the email came through on my phone and said, Congratulations. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always get a little nervous, you know, when there's like some sort of lottery thing like that. And and then you get a little bit used to every now and then when you're getting picked. Like for, for example, like if you put in next year, you've already been, you know, picked twice. Right. So then it begs the question, it's like, am I gonna get picked again? <laughs> right. Or is has my luck run out? You know? Right. Well, and I keep hearing stories about how they give preference to certain applicants, but I don't know. According to what happened here, you know, I know I know a guy that did his first application this year. He didn't get drawn, and I'm on my second application, and I did get drawn two in a row. So maybe they're like, if this guy's going to drive all the way down <laughs> from the opposite side of the country, we'll so, let him turkey hunt. So, so the. Pre- <laughs> The preference points are are set higher for for somebody from Minnesota than say right across the border in Arkansas or Tennessee or something like that. I mean, it kind of makes sense, no? Like, uh, somebody right next door, man, you're almost local. You know, like that's how I feel about Wisconsin. What's like it? when we go and hunt there, it's like right next door. Chances are, somebody coming from Minnesota is going to stay for just longer than just the weekend, so they're going to. They're gonna spend more money on hotels and gas and food and all that other stuff. So that may have been something they, that may have been something they were looking into. I know one thing I like to do uh, whenever I'm uh, out of state. I like to go, especially if I'm gonna be there for a few days. I always like to pick like a nice little local restaurant in like one of these small towns. And that's where I'm gonna go for lunch. You know, I, I make it a point to go there to one help boost the local economy with some of the outside money and then uh 
let like to see what they got, you know, let's see uh, what kind of meal they got in this place, you know? Right. And I, I mean, I'm like a burger and fries kind of guy, but some places even do that better than others. Right. I like, I like to pull into them little hole in the wall places, the little, little dive bar or the little dive restaurants or whatever cafes. or Like diners. I said, burger and fries. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, this was the first, oh, this past year, past turkey season was the first time I didn't stay in a hotel because I got a memory foam mattress now in the back of my truck. Cause normally I was having issues with like air mattresses going flat or, <laughs> um, air, a little mattress pads going flat or this or that or whatever. And I got sick and tired of it. And I went to Walmart and I bought a memory foam mattress I cut that sucker up to the length of uh, my truck bed and uh, shoot, man. I mean, when it came to sleeping, there was no complaints, man. I, I, I got that thing set up. Uh, I even, you know, brought a pillow from home and I bought sheets specifically for the, uh, the truck bed bed. <laughs> so, <you're> so, <laughs> You're, you're going to have to get a, a little trailer and hook a biffy on it now so you can stay wherever you want and not stay at the state park or wherever. See, I kind of enjoy that because, uh, like we spoke about in episode two, that's how I met met those guys. Right. You know? I kind of like doing that, running into guys at the bathroom. That's always where I run <laughs> into you know? it's never I'm never walking around. It's, you know... Yeah, you're in the bathroom at 3.30 in the morning and you see some dude with uh, like rubber boots on and you know the guy's going turkey hunting. So. You, you, stall pick it, you stall peeking on him? Checking his boots out from under the stall? No, quite the opposite. Because I'm in there all by myself <laughs> and then I hear the door open and I'm like, it's 3.30 in the morning. Who could it be? So I'm like kind of looking down a little bit and yeah, you know, I mean... You're sticking, you're sticking your hand under the stall, saying, "Little oh. help, little help." Oh man, you got, you got hung out to dry. That reminds me of a Seinfeld episode. I'm sure. Have you seen it? Possibly about the square. Um, I think it was Elaine from Seinfeld. She was using the bathroom and she ran out of toilet paper, and the person next to her, she was like, "Oh, like, can I get some toilet paper?" And she's like. No. She goes, not even a little bit? And she goes, no. She's like, well, what about a square? And she's like, no. She goes, you won't even give me a square? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if you're a Seinfeld guy. I'm going to assume you are because you don't strike me as a Frasier guy. I I watched them both. I watched them okay. both. Um, yeah, maybe watch Frasier a little more than Seinfeld, but probably about the same. But at Seinfeld. Oh, wow. Seinfeld for me was a long time ago. It was mm -hmm. it was back in the eighties probably when I was watching it. Well, it's on Netflix now, yeah. so that's that's my if I don't know what to watch, I'll just put that on. Right. So right. The what the 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 one what would it be that surprises everybody when I tell them I watched the the Big Bang Theory? Okay. No, that's not that surprising. Well, I mean, a lot of, I, I mean, lot. you don't strike me as a Big Bang Theory guy, but it's not that weird, I, I guess. Uh, most most of the guys I know, they're pretty manly, manly guys, you know, outdoorsy, and they don't get into watching nerds on TV. 
No, yeah, there's a. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I I've never watched the show. You've but, never watched it. Uh, no, I, I mean, I maybe saw like half of an episode before changing it. Yeah. But like, I don't got a problem with it, you know. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, let's uh maybe head back into the turkey department. <laughs> yeah. There we go. So what do we? So should, uh, should we get into the call giveaway here real quick? Oh, oh, I do want to touch on that. But before, uh, I do want to say that uh, I did end up going scouting. I know me and you've already spoke about this, but I did end up going scouting the other day. It was like 50-something degrees. And, uh, man, it was a good time. I was just, like, kind of picking apart these uh, these bottoms, you know, and in Hill Country, Minnesota. Just the certain these bottoms where over the years, I, I know I hear the birds down there. I have an idea of where they're hanging out down there. But with prior years in season, you know, I didn't want to go in there and screw everything up. So I always played it pretty conservatively for the most part. Um, but in particular, last season, I discovered this flat down there that I quickly passed through it chasing a gobbling bird. But when I found it, I was like, oh, man, this is like flat, open, and it's hidden. So I, I, I know I'm like those birds, this is when they go quiet and you don't know where they're at. I'm like, this is where they're hanging out is on this little flat right here. So uh, I made sure to go down there right now in the off season and just pick that area apart. So come season, uh, I, I will know a, a little bit of the layout down there. I don't want to say fully. Because I don't know, certain things happen too. What I also like to do in those situations is I I pick out certain uh, trees that are good for sitting at. And am I going to sit at them? No, maybe not, probably not. But in the chance that you do hear one down there and it's hanging out in a certain area, mentally, you already know, hey, there's this double tree down there with some decent cover. And you go straight to that tree. Right. And then I would imagine, you know, getting down there and getting familiar in the, with the area, you instead of just stumbling down there and looking around and saying, all right, so this is what it looks like. You'll already have in mind, you know, where you're going to be heading and you'll go down and you'll be able to get it in, in there. You know, you'll have your access planned and it, it'll keep you heading as you're getting in there instead of, oh, here yep. I am. Here I am. Stop, exactly. Stop, stop. A hundred percent. And I even did that while I was going down there was access, you know, how am I going to access this? What's the easiest way to access this? Unfortunately, it's kind of weird. Uh, this, and I'm sure maybe you've noticed this too. Sometimes the tops actually kind of thick. And then from the top to the crest is like really thick, man. Like, and like with briars and all that stuff. But then as soon as you clear that and you go past the military crest, it just like turns into open hardwoods. Right. Um, I, I think that's probably due to the difficulty of logging the side of the hill like that. So they probably cut mm -hmm. the top and the bottom and leave that stuff on the side. Yeah. Get, get mature. Well, like I was saying, because it's like kind of hard to access, I think that's why that little, this little bottom area is nice secluded open hardwoods. Like they'll cut the top, they'll cut as much as they can. And then I don't know. I mean, I think you told me they kind of leave the bottoms alone, right? For the most part in Minnesota. 
as far as for logging. Yeah. I, it's all access. It's just, you know, I think they'll cut the bottoms and they'll cut the tops, but it's just getting the logs and stuff up and down the side of the hill. I think it's mm-hmm. a little more difficult in their equipment and stuff. So I don't think they bother with it so much, especially in the, man- yeah. in, in the management area. They probably figure, all right, this is our mature, our mature mm-hmm. growth forest. And then they'll manage everything around it according to what, you know, they've got, what their plan is. All right. We want so many acres of mature forest and so many acres in transition and stuff like that. So I'm sure yeah. it's all figured into it. Cool, man. Well, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, get into the box calls again and uh, give a little bit of detail about entering? Because I had somebody email us um, who saw a video on YouTube, which was your your description video on the call, and he was interested in uh, how to enter. So I think it would be nice if maybe we cover, you know, how that's done every episode so yep. they could just kind of tune in and know how what they got to do to enter the contest. Well, the- this will actually be the last episode that we'll mention it because the drawing will be, or the the deadline for applications will be this Friday. You're right. So, okay. This, so, this Friday at 11.59 p.m. So after, after the final has been done, we're not going to say who the winner is until the 6th that would be wednesday correct the following week so that we're gonna stop the application no more entries after eleven fifty nine p.m this coming friday okay and then we'll we'll go through we'll take everything and then we'll the following episode the next week then we'll do the google number number generator and then we'll find out who the winner is and we'll we'll announce the winner on that one Okay. Well, so there you go, folks. That's how it's going to be done. Uh, but Paul, why don't you go ahead and give some details? Yeah. So, you know, if you've been watching, we got the Walnut and the Catalpa, Walnut and Catalpa box call that I'm offering. Um, and I will be getting up here in it, in it, by the time this comes out, it may, they probably already will post it, but I actually got the calls out this weekend in the woods and got away from the, the microphone so you can get a better idea of what they actually sound like in the woods with some ambient noise around instead of in my little dungeon here, standing right next to the microphone, ripping on them. Yeah, that's good. So, and, and I'm going to, we're going to play a couple of the clips here. Um, and we might as well get to that right now. And, um, so the first the first one we're going to play we're going to play the walnut All right, so now that was the walnut call. And then um, 
And then this next one will be the Catalpa call here coming up. All right, so there you have it. Those are the two, the two calls that we're offering. Um, so what you got to do is you got to answer the question, and the question is: Andre played the guitar on our intro. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I just you're gonna have to, to cut him. that out. Yeah. <laughs> I figured I just give it to him because you know we got what three days, two days left for the entry, so and we're we're not getting All bombarded. Right. We're not getting massively bombarded by entries, so. All right, all right. Well, so if if you want to enter, enter ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> the, the question is, who played the guitar and the guitar in the intro to the podcast? And um, the answer is is Andre played it. <laughs> and so, what you guys want to do is email off the roost podcast at gmail.com with your answer to the question that Paul has already answered. Uh, and we're going to give you a number and that will be your, your number that is going to be used into the, the Google randomized winner uh, thing that we will do. Right. Um, and so that's that. <laughs> and then um, for people that have possibly been looking for the email, I, we finally got it in the podcast description at the very end you can get our email off that so if you don't have a pen handy and you, you, you didn't get the email down you can you can get the email to enter the contest from our podcast description and that's our podcast description for uh what it would probably say on like apple or spotify the bio section of the podcast the email yep. should be there not, yep. not the episode description but the actual podcast description Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. So, all right, Paul. So, uh, why don't you go ahead and, uh, let me know who we got on this episode. Cause I know this is kind of your episode. Nah, we got a good one for you. We do. We got a Mr. Shane Simpson for you today. That's right. I want to say Shane Simpson from Minnesota, but he's not actually from Minnesota. No, but North he's, Carolina, he's been, right? I think South. Is it South? I, knew it was I don't know. It could be one of the Carolinas. <laughs> you might be right with the South. But he's been uh, living here for quite a long time at this point. I think maybe 12 years or something. So, I mean, at what point do you say, you know, you're from Minnesota, right? Well, he, I think he's been here long enough where you really can't tell he's got a Southern di dialect. So I've, I've actually heard him say in some episodes that he feels he's losing that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that makes it official, doesn't it? I would think. <laughs> Cool. So I'm going to say Shane Simpson from Minnesota. Right, cool. you know, we're going to, Shane's going to get into locating, locating gobblers with, um, generally I think he, he just uses the, um, the two, the, the owl hooter and his coyote call mostly, but we get into a, we get into a wide, wide range of, 
you know, tactics and strategies and stuff like that with them. And, you know, he gets into how, yep. he, how he blows his calls and stuff like that too. So it's all pretty good. And it's, yes. actually, it's actually, I was looking forward to this episode because my, my locating skills are lacking to say the least. So it was really. And when you say that, that, you mean uh, like locator calls, right? Right. Locating, locating them with lo- locator calls. Like I'm pretty sure I explained her in an early previous episode that when I grew up, the locator calls were pretty crappy. So I didn't, I didn't use any. I learned, I learned to turkey hunt without locator calls. And it's just recently I've, I've been getting back into trying it just because, you know, some of these calls they got out here with, you know, the hooters and the crow calls are, <laughs> they're a lot better than what I was trying to attempt to locate them with back in, back in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that from, I remember when I met you, you're a lot more from uh, a sit quietly and listen kind of guy that's like when you were locating your birds that way posting up next to a tree maybe hearing some wing flaps or getting a gobble out of a bird um i'd use my i'd use my i'd cut on my calls a lot to get a to get a shot gobble but i found that a lot of times when i was doing that the next gobble i got from them was from twice as far away as he was originally yeah so i think i was getting on them pretty hard and i think the, the hens that were hanging around him just let him away a lot of times. Ah, yeah. So it'd, the hens. It'd, it'd, it'd be nice to be able to go there and hit it with the crow call and maybe stir that gobble up. And then maybe or a owl or hoot. Or yeah. whatever and not not have jealous hens playing in, into the mix and stuff like that. For sure. Or, for even, sure. or even just having them, you know, charging after you. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're scrambling for, to find a tree or whatever to set up and he's on top of you before before you get set up yeah yeah and uh yeah so this episode i call it paul's episode because you know he was the one doing a lot of uh the discussion part of that being that uh we actually this is a we had shane Shane simpson on prior to this and uh it was a other discussion that i kind of uh kind of did that one and then uh, shane was kind enough to kind of come on again um and so this one's kind of uh kind of paul's episode so we got one episode for each of us and uh and this one we really kind of get into uh locating dollars yeah the other one is just pretty much a general turkey talk you know we just kind of go into a a wide range of things and this one you know after we got off with them the first time and we started thinking about it, it was like you know you know he's he's the hooting champion or whatever or tied for whatever for hooting he does good with the hooting right does really good with the hooting so we decided we wanted to get him in for some locating and do locating specific so that's what we got going on here yeah and uh you know i mean shane's one of those guys uh that we see often with most most turkey hunters that we get on here we think we're going to talk to these guys for an hour (laughs) and it turns into three hours now so i had three hours of an episode that I had to edit and go through. And uh, so I was able to cut this down to about an hour and a half, I think, of keeping it on topic of what we're discussing. Uh, so really, you guys are in for an hour and a half of locating gobblers with Shane Simpson. Yep. So I guess uh, with all that said, time to dive into it. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. 
We're here with Shane Simpson. Um, Shane, you know, I, I, I know you've been pretty successful in some calling competitions, and I, I'm a little unclear of exactly what, what your titles are. Why don't, you, why don't you run through? I know you're pretty good with the owl, owl hooter, and you, you've, you've runner-up, or what, what have you accomplished? Uh, well, I've, I've won a lot of Minnesota's uh, owl hooting competitions, and, and in other states as well, I, Iowa, Ohio. Um, I think I won one in South Carolina. Won a lot of turkey calling contests in different states, and then uh, in Nashville at the Grand National Calling Championships, I've placed in the owl hooting like four or five times. I think it's five, and I tied for first the year before last, but lost in the call off by a point right. or two. So who, I was a co-champion for about three or four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> who who were you co-champions with? Um, having a brain fart here. Gosh, <laughs> I know his face and I know his name. If you hadn't asked me, I, if you hadn't asked me, I would have told you. But you know, <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> um, gosh, right, it'll no, pop up in my head a little right. bit. No. No biggie. We can. I know fast. him. I, I see him every year down there. And I talk to him often. I just, I'm just drawing a blank. His name's escaping me. I'm getting old, man. That's <laughs> oh, you and me both. <laughs> hey, uh, since yeah, you, I, since you brought it up, I actually, I was curious. Uh, what's going on with Minnesota? Because we don't have a calling contest anymore, right? No, and part of that is where they have the convention. They, uh, I just got a, a postcard in the mail today for the Minnesota State Convention. NWTF convention. The banquet, right? Yeah, there's it's their state convention. It's kind of like the, the national convention, but on a much smaller scale. And it's a pretty cool event to go to. You know, they have, you know, they used to have all kinds. They have outdoor vendors and stuff, and then they'd have an, a live auction and, you know, the, the dinner and party and all that good stuff. Um, but they, they have it up in Alexandria. They used to hop around the state, be in Rochester one year, or Mankato, and then uh, St. Cloud. And somehow they got a deal at a resort up in Alexandria, and they can't get a better price anywhere else, and so they've just been holding it there every year. But, but most of the turkey hunters and most of the people that go to the convention live in the southern half of the state. Right. They even did it one year when we showed up for the welcome party. They had you grab a thumbtack or a little pushpin, and stick it in the map where you you where you from, and it was so many pins in the bottom, and I'm like, why are you guys having it way up here? It's a two hour drive. It's in the beginning of January. It's cold and snowy, treacherous driving. You know, at least put it closer to where everyone lives. You know, near the Twin Cities, and it's like, oh, it's so expensive down there to uh, rent it out. Anyway, um, because of that, uh, attendance for the calling contest. They used to have the state calling championships at the convention um turnout dropped steadily to where the last time i competed I, the last time they had one i competed at and there was three of us there and uh i won the state championship uh, i think for like second or third year in a row and so technically i still have the title in minnesota because i haven't had one since <laughs> the so, reigning champ yeah so from 2015 was the last time they had it so since we kind of brought up the calling. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about a little bit about locating birds. Hey, hey. I thought this was my stick. It yeah, is your stick. Huh? <laughs> All right. I thought All right. I was in control of this one. Let it rip. All right. <laughs> All right. So, 
back into the trying to locate turkeys, Shane. Um, so from your videos, it seems like you're when you when you're locating turkeys, you you seem to be trying to be pretty mobile. You know, you're gonna yeah. lo locate mouth. Why don't you why don't you explain a little bit what you're looking for? You know, as as far as where you're gonna call from, stuff like that. Uh, well, I guess it depends on the size of the property, but typically I try to find the larger properties and, and depend on the access. You know, if there's enough a grid of roads where I can hit it from multiple locations or if I'm walking, um, I kind of plan. I look at the map and I'll measure spots. You know, I'll pick a spot like this is it looks like a good spot my where my calls or my locator calls can reach as far as possible. Um, and then I'll measure a distance, like if I'm driving, okay, 800 yards to 1,000 yards. Because I know my owl hooting at the last spot in Coyote Howling will reach almost that range, but it may not be close enough and loud enough to trigger a gobble. So I still want to kind of overlap some. Um, if there's not a suitable location, you know, I get there and there's a big hill in front of me that I'm just wasting my time, then I'll re readjust where that spot is. But I, I try to pick spots that I can cover in that last 30 minutes of light, uh, cover as much area as possible. And, and if I'm on foot, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, there's not a whole lot you can do, but if you hustle, you can cover two to three spots in that last 30 minutes. Um, right. So I try I, to find a, a good ridge or something in, in more hilly country to, to reach out there to distant ridges and then flat ground. I just try to pick a spot that looks ideal and, and then, I'm not successful successful in my first spot i start speed walking you know i'm not running but i'm i'm walking as fast as i can to the next spot to, to right. I, I would imagine you know being as you're on foot you're probably going to try to target areas that you're pretty familiar with and you have a pretty good idea where where you think they'll be roosting yeah if it's a place i've been to before but if it's a new area i'm trying to think uh some of the areas i've been to in the past that, for the first time um I, I think what what typically I do is like if it's my first day there, I will kind of restrict myself to the roads. Um, there's no sense in diving in on your first day. If you got multiple days there, uh, you may be missing opportunities at birds that are actually closer to the roads and, and you're putting in extra work. Work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. um, by the second day, you know, I have become a little familiar with it. But let's say I, I didn't get any results where I first started. And so I, I drove to a new area. Um, I can think of one year before last, a new area. Um, I just basically picked the spot on the map and it was about a mile back in there. And I, and I went to that spot just because I, it looked turkeyish to me on the map. And um, I actually took a little trip in there early in the day and just walked back in there. This was before opening, opening day. And I found turkey sign, turkey scratching. And droppings, so I was saying, okay, there's turkeys in here. So, you know, I went back at, at, at dark or in the evening to try and locate them. And I'll pick the spot where my sounds would carry as far as possible and I could hopefully try to pinpoint one. Just so it happens, nothing gobbled that evening. <laughs> um, I'm sure they were in there, but um, nothing gobbled. And it may have been because an approaching front was coming that next morning. I was excited to see what they would do first at first light. And as luck would have it, it started raining about 15 minutes before um, legal, uh, you know, before the time they'd start gobbling. And it was so noisy, the rain on the leaves and stuff. And I think it just had the birds shut down. I didn't hear a peep. Right. Um, 
and I drove around, you know, all morning trying to locate one. And it's hard to hear. You get out and it's pouring down in rain. You blow the owl hooter and you can't even hear 50 yards because all the noise of the rain leaves. And it was uh, on that particular hunt, it was later in the morning when the, the rain finally broke. And I just dove into an area where I'd saw, as I drove around that morning, I kept seeing hens cross the road occasionally. And I would drop a pin every time I see a hen drop across the road. And I looked at the concentration of pins in one spot where I saw like three or four instances of hens in a, within a half mile stretch of road over the course of the morning. Cause I went by the same area a couple of times. I said, you know what? I'm going to dive in here. I've seen like three or four hens across the road here. There's got to be a goblin here. And I went back there and first calls, I struck a goblin. And then 30 minutes later, he was dead. Uh, you know, uh, I'm curious when you're doing this, how long do you give an area before you're like, okay, moving on. I always, I'll probably do about three sequences of, you know, whatever I'm using to locate. And if I don't hear anything, and if it's like particularly like kind of a new area that I'm not sure if there's birds there, I maybe don't want to invest a whole lot of time there. Cause like you were saying, you're running out of time. You got 30 minutes mm. to do it. I'll probably give it about, somebody told me that if there's a bird there, they should hit it somewhere around like that second time that you do the locator. I, I give it about, yeah, maybe about like three times or so. Sometimes maybe I'll push it a little bit more if I'm like hopeful for the spot. And if I don't hear anything, I guess that I move on. But how many times do you kind of give it a try before you're like, all right, moving on. Maybe there's nothing here. Right. And, and then, and then, you know, between efforts, how much time are you letting lapse? Are you, are you going one after another? Are you waiting five minutes or what's that look like too? So, um, I've actually thought about this, how much time I'm, I'm cause I was watching Aaron Warburton on the hunting public when he does his in the videos, how he comes at, you know, arrives, he'll sit there and let things calm down for a little bit. I'm usually in a bigger hurry than that. And I've always wondered, you know, recently I've wondered, you know, if that's hurting me, but how often I hoot and coyote how and how long do I stay there depends on the the situation, obviously. Like the place I went to, I hiked about a mile back in there. I was committed to that spot, and I sat there the entire 30 minutes, and I tried different calls. And I would give it five minutes or so in between locator calls to let there be silence because you basically want to shock it. Out. You know, not, it's not really shocking them, but, you know, it's that quiet, and then all of a sudden there's a noise. Or like I described to people that they, uh, some people like to use crow calls, and I like to use owl hooters during the day. It's because they've heard that monotony and, and of crows throughout the day, and they, it becomes like white noise to them. And then you hit an owl. Now that's something new. So if I'm committed to a spot, uh, you know, I basically just I go through my sequence. And, you know, my first thing I might do with an owl hooter is just a single note. Woo! just to see what triggers to it. Because there may be a bird that, that triggers easily to a, a, any sound. If nothing hits that, then I'll go to my eight note, and then I may add some caterwauling or laughing of the barred owl. If that doesn't work, I'll go to my coyote howling. And and I'm letting it, you know, because I'm committed to spot for 30 to 35 minutes, I'm letting there be some silence in there for three or four or five minutes. If I'm speed locating, which I often do, you watch my videos, you'll see, well, in some older videos, I don't show so much of that anymore. I feel like this is irrelevant. The viewers get tired of seeing me just blow load cutter calls. But if 
say, for instance, I was in a, in a piece of public that had a grid of roads where I could cover a lot of area. I picked out 13 different spots. An official sunset. I had my clock ready. My, I was watching my phone. As soon as it clicked over to official sunset, I stepped out of my car. I got out, listened for just a moment, and then I hit the eight note. If nothing gobbled, I was quickly eight note with a catawaller. If nothing gobbled that, within like three or four seconds, I coyote howl. And I may do coyote howling twice. Just let that ear piercing howl. If nothing gobbled that, I jumped in the truck. I didn't even take the keys out of ignition. I just kind of, you know, shut the truck off, but left the, um, I pulled the keys out halfway out of the slot. So it, it does go ding, ding, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I'm, I hop in the truck and I haul 800 yards to thousand yards to the next spot. I'm looking at my GPS, um, Onyx and I'm looking at the next pin I got dropped. I pull up and like I was talking earlier about how Aaron Warburton and them, I pull up and they'll let things settle down. I don't worry about that. These, I figured these these turkeys have heard cars on this road. I just pull up and hope there's not one right next to the vehicle, and I do that same routine. If nothing hits on it, I'm only there for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and I hop in the truck and I go to the next spot because I've got 13 spots to hit in 30 minutes. You know, basically you got two minutes max at each spot and drive time. So I'm trying to, I'm just covering as much ground as I possible uh, as possible. Uh, on a good night, I may roost, I may locate five or six different gobblers that way. On a bad night, obviously zero gobblers, but I usually get at least one bird pin pointing doing that. So that's kind of my routine for committed to one spot and when I'm mobile. Cool, cool. Um, do you ever find yourself kind of struggling with a, uh, do I waste this evening getting set up on a bird? in hopes that you catch them heading back to roost and getting in the truck and trying to locate birds? I've done that. Um, I used to do that a lot when I was younger. When I first started turkey hunting, I kind of deer hunted them and just, and not really deer hunting them. I would pick a spot that would allow me to hear birds fly up to roost maybe. And I, and I actually heard birds that were silent off. So I'd hear the wind beat, the wing beats, you know, several hundred yards away. I'm like, okay, one just flew up there. These days, it the payoff is not worth it. You know, it's so far and few between where you you happen to be in the right spot when one goes up the roost. I'd rather uh, spend my time riding around glassing in the evenings. I don't turkey hunt much in the afternoons anymore. I spend that time uh, with video and I charging batteries and you know taking a little, maybe a nap at about two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, then I ride around, get familiar with places if I'm not familiar with it enough. Glass, see if I can spot birds from the road, even if it's on private, that's near public. Um, you know, even running a pot call, hopping out and just running a pot call and see if you can get one to gobble in the distance, even in the afternoon. And and then dropping pins, dropping pins everywhere I hear a turkey, everywhere I see a turkey. And to me, I don't know if it it, it you know if it pays off. But it seems I feel like it does. I can start seeing, just like I mentioned earlier about the hens, I can start seeing concentrations where I'm seeing more turkeys on or more pins on my map. I'm like, maybe I should focus my area of my hunting in this area here, you know, this one square mile area here. Right. And then pins, I would imagine, would be assortment of pins throughout the years, I would imagine, and not just from that, you know, that weekend oh, yeah. or that day. Yeah, my, my Onyx is so covered in pins. It, if you don't zoom in tight, it's just a one big blob of pins on there. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's 
some of these places I hunt, it's annoying. I got so many pins and I've started kind of putting them in folders on Onyx that they have folders and I'll put one for each year. But at the same time, I don't like that because I like to be able to see all my pins from all the years congregated. Like I'll, I'll drop a black pin with the gobbler icon for where a dead turkey, where a turkey was killed. A yellow icon where, um, of a gobbler where I spotted one. The, the hens are white, the gobblers are yellow, the live ones are. Any of the dead ones when we killed are black. And then um, a yellow one in a roost is where I located a gobbler. And so I'll see those concentration of yellow pen. Yellow pen sticks out. You know, I know it's a male turkey. Um, I can see that concentration of yellow pens and black pens. And I'm like, yeah, at a glance, that's like, yeah, this is one of my good spots. I should go try right. it out. Right, right, right. Now, Getting into the type of calls, I mean, you kind of alluded to it here a little earlier, and and um, just from watching your videos, it seems like you're mainly an an owl hooting and a coyote hall. Are, mm-hmm. are you using any other any other, you know, other than the when turkey I, call? You get yeah, into, I get desperate. I'll use a pot call to try and locate one on the roost. Um, usually, the coyote howls enough, but um, right. there have been instances where um, a pot call finally pulled a gobble out of one of them what what's what's the strangest sound you've ever heard a turkey gobble to the strangest sound yep i don't know you name it they gobble to it the trains car doors I, uh, I i got video of me in new york hunting where i just shut the hatch on my truck and one gobble and then i <laughs> i opened it back up and turned on my phone so i recorded myself and i was like wonder if there's any turkeys around here and I shut it again and oh, I was like, yeah, I guess that answers that question. You know, right. it depends on yeah. what kind of mood they're in, you know? Yeah. I, th- I think, what was it? I, last year I heard, um, I heard one gobble, shot gobble to um, a plane as it was going overhead. It must have just set its flaps because it came through that high pitch. Oh yeah. That down that to deep. the low growl. And when it got into that low growl, he, he popped off and, you know, when I, I first get... moved, I've, when I first moved to Minnesota, I heard that for the first time. I was deer hunting in November, and I was south of the cities, and it must have been the, the uh, I must have been far enough south where the planes start their descent. Right. Because you hear that, what you described. Right. You know, as, and I'm like, and then my first thought was, this plane's getting ready to crash. You know, I thought <laughs> he just lost his engines. And then the second one did it, and I'm like, oh. And then the third one, I was like, Maybe they're just kind of backing uh, off the thrust to get ready for landing. Right, and maybe pot, my my thought is it's they're they're backing off the throttle and lowering their flaps. Yeah, get, I don't know what they're doing, but it's, it's it's a it's a loud uh, um, transition from you know it's not like they just like let off the gas like we do in a vehicle and it just stays right. the same sound. It's a right. It's like they put in. Re- reverse thrusters on <laughs> it's, right. it's a abrupt change but yeah i so, guess yeah i could see them gobbling to that i know it was loud enough to shock me at a plane that's thirty thousand feet above me or twenty thousand feet above me right right so now you got the owl and the coyote hawk and the coyote call here so you've got your your owl hooter there can you can you take us a little a little bit through it how you know what what types of sounds are you going to make on that are are you you got the hoots and you hear the laugh i've heard but, you know i heard about you know a barred owl scream or something like that is, is yeah, that something so the, you use 
Yeah, I, I've, I've played around with that a little bit. It's, uh, I think my Coyote Howl kind of covers that loud pitch sound, so I'm not so, um, you know, diehard about doing using it. Uh, the scream, if you don't have a Coyote Howl, yeah, if you can figure out how to scream, that high pitch sound will trigger it. For for me as a competitive caller, scream was something we used in out we use an owl hooting competition to just you know adding some extra flair or something that another caller might not be doing and hope to get right. an extra point. Um, I think I don't know. I, I like I said the coyote howl for me is enough. I don't think I need to use a scream out there. I don't usually use a scream when I'm owl hooting, but um, it's typically done by an owl and what I normally hear is in the fall and winter. Uh, for some reason, they don't do it much in the spring. And I don't right. know why, if it's uh, territorial or, or what the, what it is behind it. But that's when I typically hear it. But um, no one's heard a scream. I can I think there's a link to some sound files on my website. to a, And they are eerie sounding, some of these. Yeah, yeah. You should take this hey. moment in the podcast to let them hear a couple. Can you do that <laughs> when you edit when you edit it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask uh, for those who may be interested, because you said you have it on your website. What's your website? JamesSimpsonHunting.com. There you go, folks. This is and this is what it sounds like if I try to do it on a mouth call. Yeah, I'm doing that mouth, but the yeah, owls they, typically what you hear after a scream they go. Ooh, so if I was in a contest, I would try to keep it realistic, but I'm trying to shock, uh, you know, locate a gobbler. We're not trying to be realistic, right? Right. So we're, not bad. we're not trying to. We're not trying to do exactly what an owl would do. We still want to try to sound somewhat realistic. Can you run us through your, uh, I know you explained your uh, owl uh, sequence, but would you mind doing it uh, with the call? Yeah, so if I just pulled up at a spot, again, it's situation dependent. If I'm in the woods or whatever, and I think there might be an owl fairly close, or especially like in the morning, say I haven't located one, or I located one and I'm trying to get a better beat on exactly where it is. We're just getting into gray light. And I'm like, okay, I think that turkey was located uh, somewhere near here. I may be too close or I may not be close enough. Let me hit them with something just real soft. And I'll go, just something like that. And it sounds probably loud on here, but it's as quiet as I can make it. I'll muffle it down. It's just a little, a little short good. thing. Um, just to try and, so I don't scare the mess out of them and he's in the tree. They, they're used to hearing barred owls at night, but uh, you don't want to go crazy. And I've had them do that, and they gobble like 40 yards away, and I'm like, oh, he's right here. Uh, if nothing gobbles to that, um, or if I'm – so you saw in some of my videos where I'm owl hooting to a distant ridge. I, in that situation, I would just start off with the eight note because I know it's going to take a little bit to get there, and, and I need some volume, and I would start do a sequence like this. Now I'm listening. And what I tell my buddies that are usually hunting with me when we're listening is as you wait for that gobble, 
slowly turn your head or, or just kind of pivot your head back and forth. And when you hear that first little syllable of a gobble, rotate your head. Because you want to, what a lot of people make mistake of, and this is, I've seen this in action many a time when hunting with a friend, bird gobbles and they point in the wrong direction. And I'm like, no, it was that way. He's like, you sure? Make out hoot again. Get him to gobble again. I was like, I'm positive it's that way. And that's because I'm rotating my head right at the gobble. As soon as I hear the first syllable, I rotate it to, to get that, you know, move your ears around and really pinpoint. And I'll do it again. And my buddy will say, yep, you're right. He was in that direction. And, and it's key. It's very important because sometimes you only get one gobble out of a turkey. And, and, and then you, you're sitting there scrambling, trying to get him to gobble again. And he won't. And now you have, you're, you have zero confidence or low confidence if you're not positive which direction the gobble came from. Right. Or, or you, you're just like, I don't know if he's on that ridge or that ridge. I know there's a gobbler around here somewhere. So then you're in the next morning, you're just standing on the, in the same spot waiting for him to gobble so you can go after him instead of being under his tree in the morning. Right. Um, so, so let's suppose nothing gobbles to that. The next thing I'm going to do is an eight note and roll right into a, a cattle waller and another laugh. And I may not necessarily do an eight note. It might have been what I just did. You can do variations of it. But I'm, I want to sound realistic so as not to alarm the, the gobbler. And I probably overthink this. They, they're not that smart. But um, I think turkeys that have been around enough a few years start picking up on things right they, I, I would um, imagine pressure plays a lot a big part into that too you know yeah if, yeah if there's guys running around the woods constantly blowing on them yeah and and if they all sound you know like um similar or maybe all sound like a crow call you can hear people on a crow call if i can tell a crow call is a person blowing that call you can condition those turkeys to know what's real and what's not and so mm -hmm. that's why I'm a big fan of realism. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you don't need to sound like a turkey to kill a turkey. No, you don't need to sound exactly like a turkey to kill one. But the more realistic you are, the more consistent you are at killing turkeys. Right. And, that, and that goes back, and I can prove this point, and then we'll get back into the locator call. Um, look at a catbird, a great catbird. That's a common bird around here. Um, a lot of people they hear him singing or whatever. Now, you whistle to that bird and try to cop mimic it. He's going to ignore you. But if you open up your phone and go to uh, Cornell University, bird, uh, whatever, the ornithology website, and play yep. a sound bite of a catbird, I do it all the time when I'm hunting with friends when we have some downtime in the woods. I'll start playing it, and catbirds come out everywhere and fly right to me <laughs> and land in the limbs. Look. So that's realism as, a, as opposed to what you think sounds like a catbird, you whistling it. So, right. I mean, so all wild, all animals recognize what sounds more authentic than the other, and they're going to be fooled by it. Um, anyway, so a calawaller, nothing gobbled to it. I'll probably uh, do it one more time. <laughs> now I've added like a little double catawaller, and I've really gotten loud on that second one. Nothing gobbles to that, then it's time to bring out the old coyote howl. And it's basically just, it's just the same call I call turkeys with. Um, you know, people market mouth calls for coyotes and market for turkeys. They're all the same. You know, it's just, 
once you learn how to operate it, you can do about anything on, on one individual call. Easier said than done, huh? <laughs> um, when you compete in the uh, competitions, you uh, you learn how to do these things. Right. So you, many, you say that many years. You say that's the standard call that you use. Yeah, this is the same, the same one I'm using. When you see me coyote howling side of the road, that call is the same one I'm calling a turkey in, in the next morning. So what what cut is what cut is that that you're using then? This is a, a reverse combo cut, but reverse combo cut. So have you watched my mouth call mechanics video? I haven't personally. We're okay. going to get into that a little bit later, though. Yeah, okay. it's a it's a great video, man. So yes, a, a lot of people they do that. They go on my website and they they want to know what call I'm using. They buy the exact same one, and I'm like, you, you probably don't need to do that. You need to buy one that matches the cut for your airflow, or whatever. And you'll you'll we'll talk about that later, but. It's important not to necessarily buy the exact model. You maybe buy the same design, a three read or whatever, but cut differently. Right. But anyway, um, so now I'm getting ready to tell you how these turkeys, and it's basically just a, a, a really relaxed yelp, so it's real raspy, is my bark. And then the, if people have done a kiki run on turkey, the... <laughs> a kiki run of a turkey call. So basically the key part is what I'm using for the how. So I'm just doing a raspy yelp into a key, so, which is my bark and my how. So you'd be doing you'd be doing a key key run in reverse then. And you'd be starting with yeah, the exactly. yelp and then going into the key, but yeah. then you'll be you'll be, you know, prolonging that key out into the howl. Yeah. So if I was yelping and if I just start relaxing my jaw and my tongue, you'll hear it transition from a yelp to a to my what I use for the bark. Yeah. As I get relaxed, then the key is just I'm putting pressure on it and just getting just like you take a blade of grass and blow on it, and gives you a high pitch. My tongue is pushing against there to to constrict that reed and make it a high pitch. Great. So, and that that's like an ambulance siren, siren in the siren in the distance. You know those high pitch sounds that right there just pierce my ears just now. Right. <laughs> Doing right. it in this small room. Yeah. And I, you know, I I have to do that sometimes when I coyote howl out there trying to locate birds. My ear goes deaf for just a moment, right at the end of that howl. Sure. So, um, getting back to the owl, who when you know you kind of went through the mechanics on how you're blowing that coyote. So what do you what are you doing with that owl who when you know you're going you're going hoo 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 and I would imagine you're you're drawing the the air deep from using your diaphragm pushing it up through, and then it seems to me like you're changing the pitch, you know, of the hoot by, by opening your hands to get into the yelp and whatnot. And then are, are you rolling your tongue to get that at the end? Or are you gurgling like some people do when they're, when they're purring? So it, uh, I flutter my tongue. Um, I know, uh, my buddy James Harrison who designed this out hooter years ago. Um, he, gargles with a stroke because he can slow it down more than fluttering his tongue uh -huh. he gets a slightly more realistic and i i can't even do it but um basically um with the owl hooter i've got my hand forming a sound chamber at the end i've got it cupped around um and then it looks you know looks like you got your hands almost totally enclosed over the call then it yeah they're, they're not they're not tight i mean there's a there's a 
an area the size of a small tangerine or something that I could right. hold inside my hand. Right, but um, it's like a it's like a sound chamber though. You're not yeah. leaving and any gaps a, for the. Okay, so you do have a little gap there. Yeah, at the bottom for the sound to come out. If you close it up completely, you won't even get no sound. It'll be like that. Yeah. You open it up. You can hear the differences as right. it open it. Right. And that's that's how you get the laugh too. If you just open your hand, you don't want to take your hands off completely. You just want to open your cup of your that sound chamber, open it up much wider. So. see how it changes just by how yeah. I, now if i took my hands off all together you can still kind of hear the laugh but it doesn't sound as realistic and it's not nearly as loud it's amazing but just by cupping your hands seems to increase the the volume of it right um i have a little tutorial on how to run that on my youtube channel as well how to hold the owl hooter and, and how to blow it but yeah for the um you know, people ask me a lot of times, you know, how I run a mouth call or how I'm doing an owl hooter. Am I coming from a diaphragm? Yeah, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that I'm, it's, it, I guess it feels like it's coming out of my diaphragm because I can feel my uh, belly muscles, uh, abs tighten up, you know? Right. Like, I'm, I don't know, maybe like you're trying to force one out. <laughs> are, are you, are you, are you, are you just blown or are you? Are you, you know, kind of word, wording something where you go to hoot, 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 or? I'm just a short burst of air. Um, and if you watch me run the owl hooter in the videos, you'll see my cheeks puff out in some. So I'm relaxing my cheeks. And, and all that controls the sound. So I guess I really don't, you know what? I wish I'd paid more attention to how I learned. I guess just, just doing it over and over the years. I don't even think about what I'm doing. But I've seen the videos of me doing it. And I say, oh, my cheeks relax at that point. So if you watch me go through it right now, this video quality is not that good, but you see I'm, my cheeks are tight right now because you can't get a sudden burst of air if, you're loose, if your cheeks are loose. Yeah. You need to have that, that tightness, but you'll hear, see my cheeks kind of bellow out when I do the roll because I want it to be softer. Right there, it's it's, and so now right. I'm kind of just relaxing, and I'm fluttering my tongue. Um, the biggest mistake I see people when they're using the alligator is they they open their hands when they do that that roll, and it sounds like this, like that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you only want to open your hands for the laugh, not for the the eight eight note or the or the roll. You just keep your hands that sound chamber there. Cool. Cool. Well, that's good to know because uh, I've been doing it the way you said not to do it. You open <laughs> your hands on the roll? Well, you know, the way I see it is it's a little bit louder. So, like, for yeah. the whole, like, you know, shot gobble thing. But, yeah, I've been doing it wrong, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you want to do it for that. But, I, um, I'm like I said earlier, I'm all about realism. I want it. Um, and here's another aspect of realism. I not only do I want to fool the, the gobblers into thinking I'm a real owl and then hopefully they shot gobble to it, but I also want to fool the, the real owls. Why is that important? Um, one, this has happened a number of occasions, but one that sticks out in my mind where it, where it first kind of stuck was when I was hunting in South Carolina. I still lived down there at the time. 
I'd been trying to locate a gobbler that morning. Nothing had gobbled on the roost. Nothing had gobbled. And this was like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was just walking along. I hit an owl hooter. I walked, you know, 600 more yards. I hit it again. And nothing gobbled. But like four or five seconds later, another barred owl responded to me. And he was like five or 600 yards away in a distant hill. And right beside him was a gobbler you know, nearby and that that triggered that bird to gobble i was right. too far away to shot gobble him uh you know nine o'clock in the morning but you know the, the other owl heard me and wanted to talk to me he was close enough to shock that bird and gobble so right. if you didn't sound very realistic maybe it wouldn't have been enough to get convince that owl to talk to you and i never would have heard that bird shot gobble and i would have just walked onto the house and uh hadn't killed that bird that morning right right so, so you know, there's there's always benefits to being realistic so I, i'm i'm going to get into some of this audio here now that i captured and i'm going to play it for you here okay and um i believe the first one here or the first couple here i believe you're in iowa here and you're, and you're the first one you're going to be you're going to be locating with your um with your coyote holler okay so i'm going to play this here and it's it's probably about 30 seconds long, maybe, maybe, maybe a little longer. So I'm going to start that here. All right. Right now, right now. Got one gobble right up here. He is on poet. Oh, he's in a good spot too. (laughs) (laughs) I knew knew exactly where that was at as soon as he gobbled. Yeah, I kind of figured you'd catch on to it. So yeah, I, I think I remember the gob they're locating more than I do the hunt sometimes. Right. So so um getting into the realism part, the, the realism, I mean, the barks in that howl, they I to me they sound incredible. And apparently the the lady down the road <laughs> yeah. thought they were pretty realistic too, because she was worried about her, her dog getting attacked by coyotes. Yep. And I'm always worried about doing those loud noises near houses um, <laughs> just because I don't know. I feel embarrassed. Like they think I'm an idiot out there. Um, but she started hollering for a dog right after. And I, and I kind of laughed and I thought she was hollering for a kid or something. And I, I pulled up beside her and I can't remember what I asked her. Um, and she's like, she was like, hey. no, nah, I'm a dog. Or, you, know? right. you, you asked her if you were looking for a lost kid or something. Oh, I yeah. Think you asked her. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought she was calling one of her kids. I didn't know how old the lady was. I just could hear her holler, and then it was dark when I pulled up to her, and I could never see her face. But um, you know, I was like, "Yeah, I'm just that was me, Cowder." Oh, that was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, I, so, it, it's funny you mentioned the whole uh, feeling dumb when you're doing that by somebody's house. Um, yeah, whenever I'm doing it, like early in the morning, you know, when you're trying to find some birds. And I'm like, I'm doing it and I, I feel a little bad because I'm like, this is going to wake them up. 
if they're sleeping. I'm like, because you're like maybe near their house. And then I'm mm. like, you know what? It sucks. But this is what you get for being butted up next to public, dude. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a piece of public in Minnesota that I hunted last year. And the it's one of those situations where there's the highway runs along the public. And then there's a three-acre section cut out with a house and, you know, a yard. It's like, how did that end up right there, that three-acre section? But I wanted to, to locate to the ridges right behind the house. And so I just pulled on the side of the road. And this is, you know, same time as in that video right there. And I just start coyote howling. And and I'm like, and I'm sitting there going, these people will think I'm a fool. I'm stopped on the side of the road. I, I see somebody looking out the door, you know, the window, like, what are they doing? You know, um, I've actually at one place, um, this, this fella gave us permission to uh, go through his property to access the public because we stopped to try and locate birds. And he was just looking at us weird. And so I made a point when I hopped in my truck, I pulled up next to him. And I was like, and I explained to him, I said, we're just trying to locate gobblers. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know, know what y'all were up to. And um, it's like, yeah, we, we heard one gobble up here and da, 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 da. And, and we, we got to go around this thing. He said, well, you can just cut through my place if you'd like. and save you a little trip. I said, okay, great. Um, so that that helped in that regard but yeah i always feel like i had to explain myself yeah. even though i don't but i know <laughs> i, I kind of put myself in their shoes like if i was sitting there and didn't know anything about turkey and somebody pulled up started screaming and i may not know what the sound was they're trying to imitate and then they drove away i'm like what the hell was that yeah right. you know right so i was I, i'm like i'd be curious to know what they're doing so that's why i probably a lot of times i, I yell to them i'm just trying to locate gobblers yeah you know, the other thing, too, is uh, sometimes it gets their dogs going. Like, if they got mm-hmm. dogs and they start, you know, and then I, it's like I said, particularly if it's kind of early in the morning, oh, that's when I'm like, oh, that they're, they're awake now, you know. Uh, or, you, you, or you get an old lady, or I don't know if she's old, but you get a lady yelling for a dog. Yeah. And in <laughs> that situation, when she first started yelling, I didn't like it because it was ruining my video. I didn't want somebody yelling in the background. And I, I don't even recall if that gobbler ever gobbled again. I'd already located him. I knew well, exactly where it was at. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get back into this with the second audio here because then I believe you probably let things calm down a little bit, and then you go after him with an owl hoot here. So I'm, I'm going to play that. Same location? Same location. Oh, this was a uh, – uh, Sorry. I think right, this was well, a different. I think it was same area, but another ridge down or something. Well, I from the from the video, it seemed like you were you were from the same spot because you had believe you did this, and then you went up and talked to the lady afterwards. Okay. So in that in that one, it seems you went back to him with the hooter, and you you were able to pinpoint him a little bit more. So, and and I'm trying to remember that whole situation because the way I remember it is once I'd pulled up to that lady and talked to her, I was in my vehicle, and 
I turned around because uh, I turned around and went back by the went area. Back. I already knew it. And so it was like two ridges down the road where I had another one. So in the video, you see me show the, the overlay on Onyx where this one's, this is Gobbler A. He's roosted on the public or he's roosted on the private on the ridge and, and the public's on the tip of the ridge. And then Gobbler B is on private on the tip of the ridge and the public is the fat of the ridge. And I, and I, I picked B because I figured he was going to go to the, so I think that was Gobbler A you heard in the owl hooting section. All right. That so two second. different gobblers then. Two different gobblers. And, and I had to uh, figure out which one I was going at. I even made a social media post about it. Um, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna and say I, I was gonna everyone, mention that, yeah. Yeah, I asked everyone which one would they go after? Well, here's the location, here's the gobbler where he's roosted, here's public here in private line, and here's and I think a lot of people picked the right answer, if I'm not mistaken. Or, one was a confirmed triple beard, correct? Oh yeah, that's the one or hypothetically uh, a, a possible because yeah. I, I watched him in that field cornfield that evening and he slipped across and he gobbled up above me. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of people were wanting to go after the multiple bearded bird, but I went after the high probability gobbler, which was gobbler B. Yeah. Cause I think right. the triple beard, you would have to approach him from below, right? Yeah. So, and yeah. I just didn't, the closest I could get to the, to the flat part of the hill was like 30 yards. So I'd basically had to have him step one step across the property line into the public and look down the hill yeah. and then shoot him. And I'm like, the odds of that happening are, are very slim or I make the mistake and I don't realize where the property line is in the dark. And, I sh and then I'm worried about shooting them across the line and I don't take the shot, <laughs> you know, right. I just felt right. like the other one gave me much better odds, especially with a, a lady and a dog down below. He's not going to go down. He's going to stay up there where I'm at. Right. So getting, getting back into that, that hoot sequence you, you did, you know, you hooted three times. And then in the middle, you know, the the second one, you you let out the laugh there, mm -hmm. but you were only it seemed got gobbles on the first regular hoot, and then the last regular hoot. Did you play you that find, again for me? Yeah, I can play it again here for you. Let me refresh my memory. Just so, so what I was doing there was I did my note and got him. He gobbled immediately. And I don't think he was terribly far away, but I didn't have an exact bead on him. And I wanted him to gobble again, but I didn't want to do the same thing I did. I wanted to change it to, to get a, in order to get a gobble out of him right after he did a gobble, I needed it to be more excited. So I did the caterwauling, but I probably didn't give him enough time. That's why I didn't gobble to it. So then you hear me do basically the same series again, but a little more emphasis in it, a little more volume into it. And there was, you know, a little bit of delay. And then he finally gobbled again to it. Um, and and you hear me say, oh, he's a little bit to the right. I was right. just trying. I had him be a bead on him, but I wasn't exactly sure. And I was probably off by 20 or 30 yards. And so then I got a better bead. So that was my thinking uh, going into that. Right. I, I guess the question I was going to get into, do you find you have you know, a better response when you throw the laugh out or, you know, it, or sure. if it's just the regular, you, you think the laugh, the laugh gives you, gets you a better response than just the standard howl or the standard hoot? 
Um, the way I look at the laugh is, is kind of equivalent to the, or not equivalent, but in the same category as the, the howl of my coyote barking howl. It's a little, it's a little uh, higher pitch, I guess, a little louder. Um, it's something I can get a bird to gobble with if they're a little reluctant to gobble just an owl. Sure. Um, in that case, he didn't gobble to it, but I think it's because I just got him to gobble to the eight note or the, it's not really an eight note. There's very, so many variations on that hooting. You know, there's a typical, and then sometimes it's the, the, you know, it's not really the eight, but you know, that basically the hooting part, um, I usually get gobbles, triggered birds to gobble to that when they're just, they're in the mood, you know? And then, uh, if they're a little reluctant, then that cattle wall and really pulls it out. Right. And then if they're reluctant to do it, that gobble to that, then the coyote howl will pull it out of them. And so it's right. just, it's just stepping it up each time. Right, so I, I'm, I'm going to get into one more audio clip here. And I think okay. this one, this one here is going to be centered around the laugh in the, in the hoot here. Just the same, same video. Uh, no, this is from a different, and actually I think this, yeah, this is from a different video. that from a, a morning hunt when they were like we're mother load of turkeys yep yep that was from from the mother load of turkeys you were in there and you had the located you had located them the night before and, and you thought yeah. maybe there was multiple gobblers in there but you weren't sure and then you got in there and you were you were waiting waiting on them and you decided to do some hooting to trying to get a yeah, pinpoint. pinpoint on them and yeah, that Jake yell, that Jake yelping at the end gave that hunt away. I, I remember that one. He, I figured he it would. Got, he, <laughs> that, that that was pretty neat. The way you know the four or whatever, how many gobblers were there? They fired off, and then the, the Jake went jump, jump, jump. Yeah, um, <laughs> we. Um, I thought there was three birds roosted, and I and I said that even before I said there might be four in there actually, and then the next morning there was at least twenty gobblers around. You know, goblin turkeys. You know, Jake's included. Right. I, I bet that I bet that at least ten of them were adult gobblers, you know, and the rest of them may have been Jakes. Right. Um, and it and it was kind of you know what why 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 I captured it and whatnot because you went through the first hoot and it was just a standard hoot or whatever and I think you maybe just got the one gobble and then shortly after that you did the hoot and you threw the laugh in there and then the whole hillside it sounded like it it lit up. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and I can't recall. Uh, was that first one a, a kind of a abbreviated eight note, or was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it could have been. I could play it again here, real quick. Play it again, like what I described a minute ago, where I start off a little soft and short. Yeah, so it wasn't the full eight note. So, yeah, yeah, and um. It sure sounds louder in that video than I remember doing it in the woods. <laughs> it probably it probably just is louder than I than I think. But um, you know, once I heard him gobble and I knew there was nothing right above us in the tree, then I then I callowallered because I I wasn't worried about spooking them. 
um, sure. and and triggered more to gobble. Cool. Um, so I mean, as far as calls, I mean, have have you you know looking on your website? I mean, crow calls are obviously popular because all the crow calls on your site are sold out. Oh yeah. Um, I think they're available. I just haven't marked them back in stock. Just haven't marked them back in stock. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, the um, the supplier that supplies the like the 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 barrels or whatever. We were waiting on that uh, to come sure. in. Um, sure. So anyway, yeah, everything should be in stock here soon. If it's not, cool. Um, woodpeckers, have you? You know, when I when I was down in Georgia, and I was I met I ran up. Met, it, met up with a guy down there and ended up hunting with him for, you know, was it one day? And that morning, we ended up, we got a couple gobblers to come in and he, he eventually missed one. But what, where we first heard him, you know, we were kind of walking out of a spot and a woodpecker sounded off and I was kind of talking to him, so I didn't hear it, but he heard the turkey gobble. He's like, did you hear that gobble? And I was like, no, I was busy kind of whispering at you when I didn't hear it. So we stood there for like two minutes later and the woodpecker went off again and bang, they fired up just over the ridge from us and we scattered and clamoring for trees or whatever. And we ended up calling them up. But then after that all happened, I asked him about the, the woodpeckers and he said, man, down here, he said, woodpeckers are loyal is what his exact words were. And it sounds like they use them quite a bit, or he uses it quite a bit, or at least relies on woodpeckers actually in the woods and, and that's know, to the, locate his birds. Yeah, that's the pileated woodpecker, and they, they sell a call for that. I don't use one, um, although I have seen them get birds to go. I was down in Mississippi one year. It was the last day of my hunt. I was actually walking back to the truck. It was after shooting. It was official sunset. I get the gobbler was already in the tree, and I looked up at this big dead tree, and there's a big hole, a big dead pine tree, and there was a big hole inside of it. And I was like, "Oh, that's a pileated woodpecker hole, you know, a nest." I knew it, was, it wasn't just a hole they tapped to find bugs. And by that time, a pileated woodpecker comes swooping in and landed right there at that hole. <laughs> and and I got, uh, got my camera. I think I had my camera. I got my camera and start recording him. And by that time, he said. And then oh, the bird right. sounded off like 60 yards away. And I'm like, right. holy cow, there's one roosted right here next to my truck. You know, was, right. I should have hunted right next to the truck. <laughs> well, but um, I guess my, the, I guess if you consider it, I, I used to use the, the pre, I think it was the Primo's triple th threat. And it was, you know, designed as a coyote call or, you know, it, it doesn't really sound like a coyote, you know, per se, but it gets that really super high pitched, pitched mm. shriek on it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you can pretty much it's use spine anything. tingling as high as it as it gets. And I've used it, you know, pr pretty good for finding gobblers. But you know, what you can also do on it is you could do the woodpecker, and then you can use it for a peacock. Oh yeah, I know what the call you're talking. It's a little metal. The reed, if you look inside the reed, it's a little metal tube with a little teeny reed. They use I it think for. It, they use it for rabbit squillers. They use it for. I bet they use it for a wood duck call too. I bet. Oh, yeah, that too. Uh, we actually, um, I've used one for a barred owl scream in competition. 
Um, if you sure. just adjust it and play around a little bit, you can pretty much, uh, and that's probably a good, if you can take find one, probably a good thing to, uh, if you can't do a coyote howl, just uh, as a substitute. Well, I, I, I lost that one, and I, I have no idea where, but then I buying another one here when I was in, in Mississippi, and it's on the same version, but it's more, it's, what is it? It's a, the Coyote Rage, I think is what it's called. And I forget who I makes it. I haven't heard of that. Flex Tone. Flex Tone, it's I think a Coyote Rage. I have that one, yeah. It's a, it's a little more mellow. It doesn't have the real super high pitch shriek. It sounds a little more like a coyote, but you can get it mm-hmm. to do, you know, the woodpecker and the peacock along with it. Yeah, I and, just, um, I haven't had a whole lot of, you know, I'm about to say I haven't had a whole lot of success with a pileated woodpecker, but I probably haven't given it a fair shake. You know, I haven't used it a whole bunch. If right. I use something a few times and I don't get a gobble with it, um, I quit using it. Because right. my but, owl hooter, I can get one to gobble every other try, <laughs> you know? Right. Or, from, from what I've experienced and whatnot with the woodpecker is, you know, just from listening to them and from using the call, you got to be in pretty close proximity to where the gobbler is for them to sound off to it. You know, mm-hmm. you can, like they're generally within a hundred yards of where the gobbler is when when the woodpecker goes off. I've had them gobble more to the the pecking on the tree, and I don't mean just pecking for bugs. Um, if you've heard them, most people don't realize this that that loud. That is an actual vocalization, and it, it's not their mouth, but they're tapping on the tree to communicate with other woodpeckers. They found an, a hollow dead tree, and it, and it makes that hollow thumping sound. They're not actually drilling a hole in the tree. They're actually communicating with other woodpeckers. And I've had right. gobblers gobble to that more than I have their beep, 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 beep. Right, right. There's an actual a hunt um, in Iowa with my buddy uh, Joel Perry. From a couple springs ago the gobbler was right behind a big tree and he would gobble and you just see his head come out and you're we're sitting there and i'm like we're watching him filming him and all of a sudden you hear a woodpecker go and he goes to that i was worried joel was going to try and take a shot whenever he gobbled i'm like just make sure he gets out from behind the tree and then you know the third part of that call, the peacock, I mean, that may have been something, you know, that was in vogue, you know, back in 60s or 70s, but. Well, down I've south, there's heard... a lot of loose peacocks, it seems like. Is there? Yeah, I, I mean, people have I, them as pets or whatever, and you'll hear them. Wah, wah. I, I haven't I haven't heard them. Now, the only, and actually, the only place I've, I've heard a peacock would have been down in southeastern Minnesota. When I was hunting down there, and it actually a turkey did gobble to it when it was when it was sounding off. It was just doing a one of the lone heads, just go, <laughs> and the yeah. turkey would ha- hammer to it, and then he'd go again, and the turkey would hammer to it. Of course, he was all the way across the valley, and up the the other ridge on private, and you know, I it was the only turkey I heard gobbling that you know during that time. So I what ended up. Tra- Wood ducks are a good trigger for um, gobblers. Right. Yep. And I used to carry a goose call early on in my turkey hunting career, and that was because I had one for whatever reason. I think I bought it for a locator call, 
and I, I rarely used it. And I was trying to get one to gobble. I couldn't get one to gobble. I pulled out the owl, the crow, um, goose call and hit it and got one to gobble. And the first time I ever tried to use it. And, and so for the next five years, I carried that thing religiously with me. I had it, my crow call, my owl hooter, my goose call. And I don't think I ever got another turkey to gobble to that goose call. And so I quit using it. And then uh, these some of these areas I hunt, you know, sometimes I'm hunting near wetlands and stuff. And there's geese in the morning. They're honking in the evening. And these birds just don't gobble to them. I'm like, these geese down there are just making a racket. And they're not gobbling. But as soon as I howl, mm-hmm. they gobble to it. Where, where, I, where I hunt a lot up in um, north central Minnesota, they get... They get a lot of sandhill cranes, mm-hmm. and that that'll fire them off every once in a while. Oh, I hate that, those things. They're just so <laughs> they're loud. loud. Have yeah. you noticed sometimes that a so let's say you're trying to locate a bird or something, and when that bird gobbles, it's a little hard to hear because it makes the sandhill cranes start popping off. Have you noticed that? That'll happen to me in Wisconsin. Uh, I don't know. It seems like to me every time I. I pull up and I get ready to locate and there's, there's wetlands around in the area. So number one, they have the, the, those peepers, which I hate those as much as I hate sandhills because they, you know, the little frogs or whatever, they're making yep. that noise, but yep. I can pull up to a spot and there's water there and I'll see some, uh, I'll see some, uh, what do you call it? Trumpeter swans. I'll see some geese and, and a, a little bit of other wild uh, waterfowl. And as soon as I start hooting, geese decide they want to start honking and flapping and slapping the water to fly off. And I'm like, God, shut up. I can't hear those distant gobbles, you know? <laughs> yeah. Terrible timing. Especially when you're in that time crunch of that last 15 minutes of, of the daylight and you're trying to find one for the morning. Cool. So Andre here, he wants you to get into a little bit about how you, how you locate with a turkey call. Right. I don't have Andre. I don't have my pot call handy, but I, I have a mouth call here. I, n- I normally you're talking about like turkey sounds, right? Vocalization. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. So like uh, like you were saying, so you'll go from the owl to the coyote, and last ditch effort is. Yep, and and when I say last ditch effort, when I decide to use that, I usually have to go open the back of my you know truck and pull it out of my vest because I don't have it like handy. Uh, sometimes I do prepare for it all scuff it up and lay it on the dash in my truck and put the peg up there but basically i'm just gonna i'm just gonna cut on it and i'll probably finish it with a little yelp and the cutting on a pot call is i use a glass surface pot call it's real ear piercing and these pops are like two two by four slapping together pop 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 pop. and i'm putting a def uh you know a definite pause in between it where you can hear a gobble if one gobbles while you're cutting, you don't want to be pop, 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 and then you can't hear the bird gobble. Because like I said, it's so ear piercing. Your your ear is recovering from that loud pop. I don't know if y'all's ear does it, but mine kind of like rings in between. And so I have to have that little pause to hear that gobble. And then uh, I usually just, like I said, finish it off with a yelp. So it would, I'm going to use a mouth call because I don't have my pot call handy. But this would be kind of the sequence if I didn't get one to gobble to the owl and the coyote.
that call was not bad enough, but it, it served a purpose. <laughs> yeah. Have um, you ever had it where uh, that actually will shut the bird up? I don't know. Possibly because if they didn't gobble, I didn't, you know, it may have triggered them to just stay quiet. I mean, but at that point when I'm getting that out, the bird hasn't gobbled to begin with. Yeah. Um, or, or they gobbled and they won't give me another gobble. Yeah. That's case what I'm getting point, at. Yep. Case in point, uh, a few years ago, I, um, I got one to gobble. I wasn't sure where he was at. He was like, it was along gravel road and he was way down. I thought, I actually thought he was, on the other side of the road in the distant ridges, the way the, the gobble echoed across the valley. So I drove down, I don't know, another half mile, a quarter mile at minimum, maybe a third of a mile, and pulled over, and I faced the other hills. And I can't remember if I, I owl-hooted or coyote howled, and the bird gobbled, and he was actually over my left shoulder. And it was right in the curve, and I think his gobble had echoed off those far hills. That's why, because I was so far away, I think that's where I heard the echo. And I'm like, oh, he's right in there somewhere. But um, I didn't have a great bead on him. I couldn't get him to gobble again to get a good bead on him. And so I, I got my pot call out and started cutting on it. And this was, I I'd owl hooted, I coyote howl. He still wouldn't gobble again. All he gave me was that one or two gobbles. I can't remember how many he gave me to begin with. It wasn't many. It was one or two. And I and I wanted one more gobble just to get a better beat on him. And he wouldn't gobble any more to those calls. And so I went and got my pot call and I said, All right, we'll try this. It's not gonna, you know, there he's on the roost. He's not gonna fly down and come to me. And he'll forget about it by tomorrow morning, you know. Um, so I started cutting on it and it took a little bit. I bet I I bet I cut on it for ten or fifteen seconds straight and he finally and I'm like, Okay, there he is. I know exactly where he's at. Um, and the next morning I was set up within 75 yards of him I had a pretty good beat on him Get, getting getting back into the the popping that you say you know you compared it to hitting two by fours together when you're when you're cutting on that glass call mm -hmm. the first time i i actually heard popping you know like that in the woods from an actual hen we were we were in missouri and I had a couple of the buddies i had already filled my tag so i was just kind of like playing shuttle driver for him mm -hmm. and we were driving by this one spot and we seen three gobblers out and i guess it was kind of like an orchard type deal it was trees planted in rows or whatever so we quick looped around and i let them out and they were going to go out and see if they could maybe get one of these gobblers and i drove down the road you know quarter mile or whatever and stopped just to get out to see if i could hear them listen you know see if they got any gobbler going and then right in the woods next to me, I hear, you know, what I thought at the time, what it sounded like, it, was, it sounded like somebody had a pot call and it, they were taking their striker and it sounded like they were just banging on it like a drum. Yeah. Bang, 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 you know, constantly. And I'm like, I kind of chuckled to myself when I heard it, you know, <laughs> like, go, listen to that guy over, over there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the gobblers fired up. And I, I listened to him. He, he started coming in. I'm sure it was the same three that I had dropped my buddies yeah. off to go get down the road, but they had already made it up to where I was. And I just heard him, and, and this hen just kept going, bang, bang. And at the time, I still thought it was a hunter, and I'm waiting for the gunshot because the gobble just kept getting closer and closer and closer. And I'm like, oh, he's going to shoot any moment now. And then everything went quiet. Yeah. And I never heard either one of them again. Cutting, cutting is a very 
in my opinion, a very effective call. Mm-hmm. And you know, I use it a lot, especially when I'm trying to facilitate. I, I think it's one of the most, um, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Under, underutilized? Yeah. No, I think it's one of the most effective calls get a, a gobbler in uh you know if i if i had to pick one that i could only do um it's it's hard to pick between yelping and cutting but if i could just cut at a turkey if you said you can only pick one i think cutting would probably benefit me more than just a plain yelp you know just yeah 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 if i could just all i could do was allow to go out in the woods and go <laughs> I, I would do that and kill lots of turkeys um right. i had an instance one year where i had i was hunting uh I think it was yeah, Wisconsin. And I was hunting with this fella and, and we were on a bird, but we heard another one across the road goblin and it was really thick fog. I mean, it was already starting to get light, but I had enough fog that I could get a wet slip out and go after the other one. I said, you stay here. I'm going to go after the other one. And I had to go across a wide open field. And the other place where I went across the road, there was no cover. There was a fence that marked the property line to the, to the neighbor's private property um and the property we have permission but there was a fallen tree right along the fence and they had they hadn't mowed the field and the grass had gotten a little tall now it still wasn't much cover and i would just plop myself right along the trunk of that tree laying on the ground and and so from about i guess about my chest up was sticking up and i just kind of slunk down as low as i could and just kind of lay beside that 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 uh, trunk of that tree hoping for the best and these it was actually two birds gobbling behind me and they sound like they were about two or 300 yards away. And I'm calling to them. And all of a sudden I hear a hen to my right and, uh, she, she's walking over. She's like, what I call, um, cut, um, cut purr, not a putt purr or not a clucking purr, but a cut purr where it's a loud pop. And then a and she walks over to me. And, and I'm thinking she's going to go by me and the gobbler's off my left shoulder. She's coming from her right. I'm like, if she gets straight in front of me, I'm going to scare her because I don't want her going by me and going to those gobblers. And she got right in front of me and I just lunged forward like that and threw my hands up in the air. And she flew straight up in the air about 30 or 40 feet and came right back down, landed about 30 yards from me. And she just paused for a second and then she started <laughs> and walked right back to me. I mean, like, I just tried, uh, this is a wild turkey. I just, you know, tried to shoot off. And I don't know if she had a nest nearby or she just found and determined to figure out what I was. And, and in fact, that she heard me yelping and she walked right up to my foot again. And, and I'd lunged at her again and scared her again. And she landed and she started. And I was, I was like, heck, I'm going to do it too. So I started to her and she was doing it back to me. And those, those two gobblers over my left shoulder just started going nuts because the two of us were just cutting back mm-hmm. and forth. And she eventually just kind of worked under the fence behind me and then stopped all together. And then I, that's when I noticed that those two birds had quit gobbling. And so I just sat there quietly and it wasn't, but a few minutes later I hear, and I'm like, Oh, they're here. <laughs> yeah. And I see out of my, my left, my peripheral, I see a dark blob coming and there's two of them. And they walked right in front of me, and I shot one. It was into that, and I'm like, "Yeah, that cutting is the real deal." Yeah, get get getting into spooking off hens. I was was it two years ago in Wisconsin? 
I was sitting up on the edge of, um, I guess it would be a clear cut. And then I was in some pine trees, you know, and it was, it was kind of roll pines. It was pretty clean underneath. Mm-hmm. And I was, and, and the reason I had gone in there, I'd, I'd parked it on the road and I heard a gobble, gobble back in a ways. So I got my gear on and I went in and as I'm going in, the, the gobble gets a little closer to me. And then I hear, you know, I'm sure it was Jake's, Jake's kind of cutting and, and, and doing whatnot, yelping just, just in the clear cut, just, you know, maybe 7,500 yards away. I was in the woods and the gobbler kept coming over and he came over and I called him and he come to the edge of the woods, but I couldn't get him to come into the woods to where I was at. Mm-hmm. And it was getting close to roost time. So he kind of wandered off in the middle of this clear cut. And in the middle of this clear cut, there was just one island of pines that they didn't cut. So I'm like, all right, he's heading over there and he's going to roost. So it's about sun up or sunset. And, you know, I'm, I'm done hunting and I'm just kind of listening. And I'm thinking about possibly going back to the truck because I, I'm pretty sure I know where that gobbler's roosted out. And I'm already planning a way of how I can get over there and how I'm going to hunt them in this island, right? And about that time, I hear I hear a little bit of a cackle, and I see the, this bird sailing through the the pine trees, and it lights up in a tree, you know, maybe hundred yards away from me. And then I hear and I'm like, "Dang, that's got to be a hen over there." I'm gonna go spook her out of here so she's not around in the morning. <laughs> so I get it over there, I get over there, and I just get into where I can see them, and I'm like, oh, dang, that ain't no hen. I see the big, long beard hanging off him, and he just jumps out of the tree and sails out of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I remember so that I, story. Yeah, uh, uh, I was I was going to be all tricky and spook that hen away, and uh, I spooked my gobbler away. <laughs> yep, you'll have that. <laughs> yep, yep. So um that that I guess the one I'm really curious about is that that Hooten stick or the Harrison Hooten stick is that what you called it? No, it's the Hooks Hooten stick. Hooks Hooten stick? Yeah. Um James Harrison um he used to be with Hooks. He's the uh he designed the Owl Hooter and then uh sold the design to Hooks. All right. And uh, so now it's called the Hooks Hooten stick. The Hooks Hooten stick and that's 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 a, that's available on your website, I believe, yes, along with a few others. I mean, think what there's a um, there's an, a is it an Osage, a walnut, yeah, in a burnt burnt Osage. So what they do is they just take a torch or something and flame it, and it gives it kind of pops the grain out. So it's Osage wood, and then there's a walnut version, walnut wood, and then there's a synthetic. Version. The synthetic? Do you do you find there's you know say like the the O stage is a little higher pitched than the walnut or are they all pretty there's, relatively there's differences. relatively similar yeah there's differences i would say the synthetic one is the most consistent as far as from call to call because it's plastic um injection molded and so there's right. the density and everything's similar yep. with the wood ones you're going to get a slightly different sound than the synthetic and each call is going to sound different from each other because depending on what part of the tree or which tree they got the wood from the density of the wood varies um so i'm 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 the one putting the owl hooters together and uh assembling them and tuning them and then um and then hook sells them um so um there's a good chance 
now they're doing some themselves as well, but I'm helping out. Uh, so there's a good chance you'll get one that I tune. Um, but as I tune them, I can put them together and I can have one call and then and they're clean with disinfectant wipes afterwards. So don't worry about it if I'm blowing. <laughs> um, but you want one to sound good because we blew them up and you can't adjust them. Once we get them to sound good, we don't want customers messing with the reeds and then blaming us and saying the call sounds like crap. It's glued right. up and it, it should sound good when it comes out of the box. Um, but like I can, I got 40 of them sitting here and I'll blow each one. And to my ear, they sound each sound a little different. Um, this, so the average person, they may sound identical, but I've, you know, I've been paying attention to owls. I'm a competition caller. So I've, I have a little, I have a bit of an ear for that, what it should sound like or what I think it should sound like. Sure. And I can pick up on those little differences. Um, me personally, I prefer the wood ones. The, to me, they, they have a little more mellower sound. Uh, I was kind of, I, I kind of like the Osage. Uh, I don't know. They just, they sound a little, to me, I don't, I don't, I'm getting nitpicky, but woodwinds sound a little more mellower to me, more like a real owl. Um, the, the plastic ones probably give you a little more volume. And we have, you know, there's hunters out there, they ask specifically, do you have one that's louder than the other? Yeah, the synthetic ones. If you want to go, for volume um, and still realism, but not to my ear, not quite as realistic as the woodwind. Then synthetic's the way to go, um, and it's a little bit lower price point. The woodwinds sure. are, are a few bucks more, but I think I like the woodwinds. They look better. They sound to me. They sound better, um, and, and it's something it'd be a great stocking stuffer. Yeah. Well, I don't know when this podcast is going out. It's probably after Christmas, so yeah, yeah it'll be a, a little good bit. stocking stuffer for next year. Right. Keep, keeping with the calls, I mean, in your website, I mean, that the, say that again for the, the listeners, that'd be shanesimpsonhunting.com. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. It. And it, and it, it, you got a lot more calls. You got, it looks like you're selling your, your personally made mouth calls and yeah, then you're so selling, I, selling hooks also. Yeah. So um, I sell, I make mouth calls here. Um, I also, assemble and tune some of the owl hooters. Uh, that's the extent of what I do. Uh, all the other stuff is manufactured down in Arkansas at the Hooks headquarters. If you order something from my website, um, if well, if you order just stuff that I make, if it has an SSH, SSH in front of it, um, you'll get that from me. If you order something that has Hooks in front of it, you'll get that from Hooks. If you order in one order, a little combination of both, you're going to get two packages, one from me and one from Hooks. So just know that <laughs> because right. I do have people, I, had to, I think I put messages all over my web store explaining that because I do have people say, hey, I got my mouth calls from me, but I didn't get my owl hooter. I'm like, yeah, that's coming from Hooks. <laughs> uh, you'll get it a day or two later. Right. I, and I noticed that when I was scrolling through your website, I mean, you, you sell a lot of gear on there too. I mean, you got clothing, you well, I'm not saying no, those and, are just uh, those right. Are just those those are links. That's my gear. That's what I, I was going to get into. They're, they're, you can find them on your website, but they're links to to places where you can purchase them. Yeah, and the reason I put that in there <laughs> because every time I post a video, someone asks, "Hey, wh what's what's that? Uh, you know, this you're using? Or what what's that?" Instead of commenting all the time, I just right. give them a link to my gear list and said, right. it's, "It's all listed right here." What camera are you using to film your hunts? Yeah, right. So then, you know, you, you also got the, um, I guess the mouth call mechanics kit on there. Mm -hmm. 
And then that would that be something that that you design and you manufacture then? Yes, I so I make those calls there. I used to have Scott Hook make those for me. Um, he passed away uh, last year, but I made uh, when I first got into competition calling. Scott Hook was the one helping me figure out how to make good. You know, I was I was a so-so caller, but I wanted to take it to the next level and get that realism. And he helped me figure that out. And he helped me figure out how to properly blow the call and 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 figure out each cut. You know, there you have a channel in your air, and you can watch the video and it explains all this. And so, like for me, I can re I can run a reverse combo cut where the opening is cut to the left side, or a bat wing cut because there's at least one opening cut to the left side. But I can't I can't run a ghost cut. I can't run a combo cut where it's off to the right. Because my tongue forms a little channel of air, and it just so happens to be slightly more to the left than than center. And so, when you if you're out there buying a mouth call, and you ever wonder why one call sounds better than the others, always look at the cut on that top read. is There's probably a correlation. And so, when that happened, I figured that out. When Scott helped me figure that out, I said, "People need to know about this." All my life, I've been going to store and buying five different calls every year. And I throw away three or four of them because they all sound like junk, except for this one. I kept returning this one. And it was always like a bat wing or a reverse combo. And I said, I'm making a video to, to share this with the world. I, mean, I shouldn't be the only one that knows this, you know. And that right. video actually did really the, – the, the version that's on my YouTube channel now was a re-upload. It used to be on the Mossberg hunting channel or Mossberg shotgun channel, YouTube channel. And it had hundreds of thousands of views on it. And then I – um, removed it from there and put it on my own channel. But um, yeah, yeah. so I, I made the video. And while I was making the video, I said, well, I can tell people that they need to start off with an uncut call and then get several other cuts. But why don't I just give them, you know, not to make money, but, you know, give them a spot to get that kit all together. Right. And then I also tell people, said, if you don't want to buy the, the kit and you have, like, say, maybe hooks as your call manufacturer or, or primos or woodhaven or whoever just call them up and say hey i'd like to order a bat wing i like to order a combo cut an uncut or look on their website and get something you don't have to get it from me but i wanted to put it together in a kit for people to have that you know capability to order all the, the calls for the kit but i think that video um is, it could be very helpful if you're trying to learn how to run a mouth call properly and get authentic turkey sounds right i i mean i was i was kind of in the same boat you were when when i first started using diaphragm calls you know you'd buy a handful of them and it was always the one and it was always the the two and a half cutting you know mm -hmm. with just a little notch a out of, yeah right with just a little notch out HS of the one side cut. there yep and and it was the only one that really sounded good to me and i'd put all the other ones you know in a you know, 20 years later, when 30, 25 years later, when you start hearing about the mouthfall, the mouth or the airflow coming through everybody's mouth is different. Then, you know, the, the light goes on and you're like, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, as much you money know. as I wasted on mouth calls growing up, it, it was right. still my most enjoyable thing to do was go to the sporting goods store um, right before turkey season and look at all the different mouth calls and say, oh, they got they got this one out, this new one here. I'm going to try this one, you know. And <laughs> every year I'd throw them all away except for the, the one I was running. Right. Year. So so in that in that kit, 
So what do you you're getting a you're getting a a so double read, a, just a plain double read? Yeah, so uh you get a two read uncut. There's no cut so into it. It doesn't that's give you gonna, any rasp. That one's gonna give you airflow no matter what your airflow is, that one's yeah, gonna that, work for you. What you're trying to do is figure out how to bro properly blow the call and you don't want to incorporate any rasp because that can distract um what you need is to figure out how to blow a clear front end note. Sure. And if you have cuts in it, then you'll get rasp and you won't be able to figure out. And so the video describes this basically when you start blowing it and it describes the video describes how to blow it. Um, once you get that clear front note, then you look in the mirror and you kind of see where that channel of air is formed. And then you kind of match the cuts. There's three other calls that come with it, a ghost cut, a combo cut and reverse combo cut. You look at, your tongue in the mirror or whatever handheld mirror and you say oh there's a little channel of air it's right down the middle let me try the ghost cut because it has a cut right in the middle and what you try to do is you try to get that front end note again and if you can get that without any rasp you know you're blowing it properly <clears throat> and your channel of air is going right down the middle because it's not activating those cuts it off to the right and left of a on a ghost cut and then you relax your tongue and then that widens your channel of air and you know the video explains all this uh, in sure. detail, so I encourage sure. people to watch it because this is probably not making sense to be trying to so that down the, you know, a few th seconds. That video, you know, that's on YouTube and it's also available through your website. Then, yeah. So if I think the the link to the video is if you go to the Mouth Call Mechanics calls on my web store, I think there's a link to it. But if you can go on YouTube and just type in Mouth Call Mechanics, it'll be the first video that pops up. Sure. There's a much younger version of me. Uh, in that video, <laughs> um, I've thought about doing a reboot of that video, making a shorter version and with older me in there. Um, but you can actually, you could actually, I thought about creating a new kit too. So what I would do is supply you with an uncut call and then a three read uncut call. And then once you figure out your air channel, and then you just cut the one to, to give you the cut you think fits you. Then you only got to buy two calls. Sure. But I think a lot of people just would rather not risk cutting their own call. They'd rather just have all the calls. But I feel yeah. like you kind of need the right scissors to cut a call. Like if you're oh, yeah. using like uh, something that like you take from like your mom, wife, girlfriend, whatever, something that she's using for uh, like sewing stuff or something like that. Like yeah, that's going to be too big. Yeah, you need precision, pre precision scissors. Um, and and those are going to cost you ten or fifteen dollars right there. So you might as well just buy the the kit with the pre cut cost. <laughs> right. You know, good good point. Right. I didn't. You know, I have these scissors. I had them for years, and they're still sharp. But I think that that covers what I what I got in my brain, Andre. Unless you got stuff you want to get after. As much as uh, I enjoying the conversation, um, I do kind of got a. Got to dip out on this conversation, so I don't know if you guys want to keep on talking. Uh, I got. I'm gonna decide. My girlfriend told me it was gonna be. Said, I, you're gonna be on there another three hours, aren't you? I said no. It'll be a shorter one tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, three hours. So yeah, this one's longer than the other one. So yeah, yeah we'll just do it. We'll do a part three at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, um, mean, you mean a part seven and eight? You mean? Yeah, sure. we'll just do it once a week. These How last two, we're going to have to split up probably the two, so oh, yeah. that would be four, so it would be a part five and six. Oh, man. Yeah, welcome back to part five, everyone. No, I, I yeah. decided I'm going to just I'm just gonna have to keep them a little bit longer. The late season is going to be split up into two and A and B, 
but I think I'm just going to edit this one and it's just going to have to be like a two hour one. And it'll give someone a list, somebody something to listen to when they're driving from Virginia to South Dakota or something. So, okay. All right, All right. Shane. Yeah, well, well, you have a good night. Okay. All right. right. Thanks for having me on. Yep. You yep. guys have a good one. Thank, thanks for being here, Shane. Yep. Sure. Thank you. Take care. You yep. Thank you for listening to the Afterus podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, or whatever it is we're supposed to do. We greatly appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Off the Roost Calls and TikTok at Off the Roost Pod. Stay tuned for future episodes where we'll do our best to keep you informed and try to preserve the heritage that surrounds the elusive and sometimes mystical animal that is the wild turkey. <laughs>